Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It was Jesus that came and laid the foundation for us for believing in Him. He is the one that gave us John 3.16, right? That's in red letters in your Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Bible says many who once seemed to follow Christ will walk away from Him in the last days. It's happening now. We have seen many high-profile Christians, musicians, authors who have abandoned their Christian faith. It is heartbreaking and oftentimes we do not understand how this could happen or why. May Jesus be our foundation that we would truly believe, be born again, and hold on to God's goodness and love until we go to be with Him. With part two of Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 9, here's Robert Furrow. Before Reformed theology came along, the church believed and taught that you had to receive Christ, that you had to give your life to Him, that you had to believe in Him in order to be saved. And that's what the, the Bible teaches. And I find that if Calvinism were true, then God would have to be in some ways deceptive in, in the Bible because he says, whoever believes, let him come into me. But it doesn't really mean whoever. The Bible says in 1 Peter and in Titus, God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And if God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth and God is completely sovereign, then everybody would be saved. But God in his sovereignty decided that he wanted to make man with free will. This is what I believe, that he made man with free will. Men can make their choices. You can choose to live for yourself. You can choose to reject God or you can choose to live for him. I also think one of the problems that you have with lapsaptarianism, reformed theology, covenant theology, with all of those things is that you, you make God doing, you may end up making God do evil things because you have to say that God is determined. It's determinism. God, you know, I, I had a conversation years ago with my daughter's teacher who was teaching Calvinism to her. And um, he said something along the lines of, God has predetermined everything to happen. And I said, even child molestation. And he said, yes. And I said, well, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe God gave man free will and that men go out and do wicked things. And you could say that God knew about that beforehand and that creates some kind of a problem. But when you believe in determinism, you're putting God as being the one who said, hey, he's completely sovereign. Everything that happens because God wants it to happen. And then all of a sudden you're putting God into that. So I, I find problems with that. So when it comes to these warnings in the book of Hebrews, I think the book of Hebrews was written to the church. I think it was written to Jewish Christians who were going back in, into Judaism and were turning away from Christ. And whoever the author is wrote them to bring them back and gave warnings to us that are good warnings for us, that we stay true to the end. As we get into these warnings, we'll talk about this some, but I do believe that it's possible for someone to walk away from God. I believe that. I believe it's rare, and I believe it's severe, and I believe that when it happens, the person will not want to come back. I think you cross a line that who knows where that line is, but I think the Bible teaches that. That's possible to do it. And no wonder then there would be such warnings against it if you can't come back after you've crossed that line. And you say, well, what if I've done that? 
will come back and you haven't done it. If you've crossed the line, you won't want to come back. Your person says, I don't want to come back at all. And so then you've crossed that line. So let's pick up this first warning then in Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, Therefore, we must give a more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Now remember, in the last chapter, he had made the point that Jesus is superior to the angels, that Jesus is, is higher up than the angels, that God called him God and that God gave him everything. And it says, therefore, because of whom Jesus is, let us therefore not neglect such a great salvation or give a more earnest heed to the things we have heard. What kind of things have we heard when it comes to salvation? Are we giving it that earnest heed? Lest we drift away. Now he uses this term of drifting. So sometimes people find themselves walking away from God, not because they made a decision to walk away, but because they are drifting. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to walk away from God today, from a really close position to Christ to walking away. There's some drifting process that happens. And the thing about drifting is you don't really notice that you're drifting. You're, you're on the water and you're just kind of drifting away and you don't notice it. When I was a kid, I went to Elephant Butte. I lived in Albuquerque, went to Elephant Butte, got on a raft, didn't put enough sunscreen on, fell asleep, drifted out into the middle of the lake where, you know, some boat went whipping by uh, with a skier on it. I had no idea I drifted into the middle of the lake. I just woke up and was like, oh, I need to get back to shore now. And that's what happens to us when we drift. We don't notice that we're drifting. That's why we have to give a more earnest heed to the things we have, have heard so that we don't drift away. So the question for all of us, the examination that each one of us would have is, is there drifting that's taking place in my life right now? And am I giving an earnest heed to the things that God has told me? I have to be active in making sure that I'm staying close to Christ. He says, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, now, thus he's speaking of the law, because we know in the Old Testament that the law was given through angels. God gave the law to Moses, but there were angels involved in giving it. And so the comparison in chapter one is if angels gave the law and then salvation came through Jesus, then why would we go back under the law? And if the law through the angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received its reward, if under the law you blew it, it was you were judged by it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you and I end up drifting away from God, and remember that there's a drifting process happening here, you have to be close in order to drift away. And how are, are we going to escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we somehow just say, you know what? I'm not interested anymore. I'm going to deconstruct. I'm going to walk away. It says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord. So that's the comparison. There was the law given by angels and every recompense received its due reward. But if we neglect a great salvation, which at first was brought by Christ, it was Jesus that came and laid the foundation for us for believing in him. He's the one that gave us John 3, 16, right? That's in red letters in your Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. These come from Jesus. And if Jesus is the one who gave it to us and we neglect those, how do we think we're going to escape? 
And then it goes on to say, and was confirmed by those who heard him. So not only was the word first brought in by Jesus, but it was confirmed by those who heard it, who then passed it on to us in the scriptures. God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So God bore witness to this salvation, this great salvation that we've received with signs and wonders. So now we're learning what those signs and wonders were that Jesus did. They were bearing witness to his message. He was bringing us the message on how it is that we could be saved by believing in him. There's no other name given under heaven whereby by men can be saved and all the miracles and then by the gifts of the Holy Spirit that came to the church so that when we are filled with the Spirit and we receive gifts of the Spirit, it is confirming the word which Jesus brought that you and I are to commit ourselves to according to the will, according to his own will. God's will for us is that we would receive the salvation and that we would walk in it, that we would make that genuine, real commitment to him and not neglect it. Now, again, for them, they had made a commitment to Christ and were going back into Judaism. And so the writer is really at this appalled at their idea that they would go back into it. And so in verse five, he then begins to quote a passage. He's now going to quote, I think it's Psalms chapter eight, and he quotes these incredible statements about Jesus here. And again, this gets right down to the person of who Jesus is. That's what these statements do. He says, for he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. He's still in the context of this great salvation and not neglecting this great salvation. And then says, because he hasn't put the, this world under the subjection of angels, but one testified in a certain place, that would be Psalms 8, one testified in a certain place, and now he's going to quote the Old Testament. And here's where we get the complexity of God in the Old Testament, or another time when we find the complexity of God in the Old Testament. He says, in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful for him? And what is the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. So you have made him a little lower than the angels. We talked about the rank of angels being above us. And as humans, we are a little lower than them. And then at the end of chapter one, it says that they serve us who have salvation. And so God uses angels to serve us. But Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. He takes that position again. He had become a little lower than the angels, but he would take that position again. And he is sitting on the throne by the right hand of the Father even now and, and has set everything that is the work of your hands. And then in verse eight, it says, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Everything is held together by Christ. He is the sufficiency of all things and everything is under his feet. This was a quote in the first chapter. To whom did he say, set here until I make your enemies your footstool? And so now he makes a reference to that, that he has put everything under his feet or subject to him. And then it says, he left nothing that is not put under him. There's nothing out there at all that isn't under Christ. But now we do not see all things under him. The world that we're looking at is not that hasn't been realized yet. There's what we see and there's what we know is going to happen. And we know that all things are put under his feet. There's no way that it's not going to be, 
but we're seeing everything move forward to be put under his feet. Then it says, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels. Again, just kind of explaining Psalms 9. For the suffering of death, this is why he was made lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste a death for everyone. And so God's plan was that he would suffer death and that's crowned with glory and honor. It was through the suffering that he received. And when we think about the suffering of Jesus, I, have you ever wondered why he had to go through what he went through? At a time when we look at the crucifixion and we figure being crucified, being scourged, being crucified, hanging on that cross for six hours, finally dying and giving up his spirit, saying it is finished. Why did he have to go through all of that suffering? What was the depths of his suffering? I, I think, first of all, that it reveals the depths of our sin. He covered every sin. Someone can't say, you don't know what I've done. My sin can't be forgiven. Your sin can be forgiven because of what Christ went through. But it also shows God's plan for suffering. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next Wednesday night, but how could a God of love allow evil in this world or suffering in the world? That's been said to be one of the toughest questions that can ever be asked a Christian. If you ever have one of your friends say, how can a God of love allow suffering in this world? How can there be a, you know, children that suffer in India or children that suffer in Africa and God is a God of love? And that assumes that God doesn't have a plan for suffering or that God isn't going to use suffering. First of all, we live in a world where there's suffering and we know that. And we know that suffering is in our future because we have nerves that help to protect us and we know that that goes awry, but we also know that just as God had a plan to use the suffering of Christ, God has a plan to use the suffering in our lives for His glory. That whatever we face and we go through, God is being exalted and lifted up by it. The very fact that Jesus came and shared in our suffering is something that is, is so powerful. He didn't create a world where there was suffering and then put us down here and say, there you go. You guys go ahead and suffer away. I don't want to go down and be a part of that. He came down and shared in that suffering with us. And through the suffering, there was a great work that was done. And through our suffering, there are great works that are done. God has a plan and God has a purpose that great works would be done. So that when there are warnings in the Bible, I don't believe there are any warnings that are not there for a reason. I also want to say at the end of this study that I'm not on the other end of the spectrum either. I, I was told once that because I'm not a Calvinist and I, I would probably be a one-point Calvinist because I do believe in the perseverance of the saints, I think. I believe that if someone genuinely commits their lives to Christ, they're not going to walk away, that they genuinely committed their lives to Christ. If someone does walk away, I think there's some kind of, kind of sign. But they say that I'm an, an Arminianist. And when I read what the Arminianists believe, and in another study we'll talk about what they believe, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe what the Calvinists are teaching and I don't believe what the Arminianists are teaching. And so it's hard for us to pigeonhole ourselves in there. All I know is that the Bible gives us warnings for a reason. And so we just take it seriously. Pay closer attention to the things you have heard, lest you drift away from them. For if this thing spoken by angels received its just recompense, how much more that which was brought to us by Christ. So we pay attention to it. We stick to our guns. We don't drift away. And we'll be those people for Christ whom God has called us to be. 
Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you as we take time to look at this passage today, as we consider the first of these warnings. And we know that the warnings are difficult for us to look at. You've said you'd leave the 99 and you'd go after the one. And the warnings are always hard to be able to stop and study. But we also know that they are necessary and we take them seriously. The last thing that we would want is to say, I don't believe that's for us today and then drift away from you. Find ourselves at such a distance from you that we're able to walk away. We want to give an earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Commit ourselves to you wholeheartedly. We thank you that, that you have established everything under his feet. And it is Jesus who we are committed to. It is Jesus who we love. We thank him for the work that he has done. And we pray that you would help us to be able to understand as we make our way through the book of Hebrews, the warnings that we find here that are so incredibly serious. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here shortly. But I want to give you an opportunity today if you have never received Christ. I think this would apply to you as well that if we neglect such a great salvation, if you are offered a salvation and then you neglect it, what does that mean? The Bible says that God's going to judge us by the light that we know. And I'll take it since you've taken time to tune in and watch this online or to listen on the radio or to, to get ready and be here tonight in church. It's because there's some seriousness about God and what you want to know from Him. And if you've never received Him and the work that He's done for you, I want to give you that opportunity. You don't become a Christian by osmosis just because you start going to church. You have to be deliberate about it. You, have to, you must be born again, Jesus said. You have to say, Lord, I want you in my life. And if you don't want to give him an invitation, he won't come in. But if today you give him an invitation, he will come into your life. So if you're here today and you would like to give your life to Christ, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up now, lift up high so I can see it. I want to make my way around the room. I want to acknowledge your hands. God bless you up in the balcony. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. That's great. If you're watching online, just respond. You can just tell God, I want to give my life to you. It's not important that a pastor sees your hand or responds to you. It's important that God sees your heart and responds to an open heart. Same thing is true for those of you that are listening on the radio. And God bless you, ma'am, right here in the front. That's great. God bless you. That's awesome. All right. I would like everyone, including those that, that raised their hand and made the commitment online or on the radio, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Welcome to the family of God. It's exciting. Or welcome back if you've made a recommitment to the Lord today, if you realize that you had been drifting away from Him and you just needed to get back to the right place again. What a good thing to do before you find yourself so far away that you just continue to walk away once you've, once you've drifted so far from Him.
if um, you're here and you raised your hand, we have a New Believers table. We got people that are over there now. They would love to give you a Bible, a New Believers packet. In the New Believers packet is information. You've made a commitment to Christ. You raised your hand. You said, I want him in my life. What do you do now? So that's a packet to help you to know what to do now. You could also send us an email to saved at calvarytucson.com. Tell us your story. Tell us what God has done in your life. There will be people who will respond to you, interact with you, so you can know what to do. Also, you could send a, you could send a text ready for Jesus to 94,000. You're going to get a link to a new believer's card. Fill out that new believer's card and we'll have the appropriate people get in touch with you. We just want to help you any way we can to make sure that you follow through with the commitment that you've made and you know the kind of things that you need to do now since you've made your commitment for him. Bible says, let men everywhere lift up holy hands and pray. I'm going to ask you men and women to lift up your hands and pray for people that you know that need Christ. Pray for people that you know that have drifted away and maybe a distance from him. And I'm going to pray for you. And if you need these prayers, remember our, our prayers, we, we go boldly before the throne of God. If you need these prayers, then receive them. If not, then pray for people around you that you know, all right? Father, we lift up our hands to you now, just as your word says, and they are holy by the blood of Jesus. And we realize that. And because of that, we can go boldly before your throne and we can ask you. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would touch and heal. I pray for everyone who's listening to this. If they have a need for a physical touch, you are a God that answers prayer. We pray that you would touch and heal now in the name of Jesus, that we would see the miraculous take place. I pray for the marriages that are represented here and online and the radio. And if that any of them are struggling, Lord, that you would intervene that you would, you would let there be a healing where they thought there couldn't be a healing. Lord, it's just as, as hard to do a, a miracle in a, a marriage as it is a body. Lord, I pray that you would do a touch and just do miracles here tonight. Lord, I also pray for those that are, are struggling in their faith. Maybe they drifted away and they haven't given an earnest heed. Maybe they used to, but they're no longer giving an earnest heed to the things that they have heard. Lord, I pray that they would come back to you tonight. And we thank you for this, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May you find yourself walking close with Christ. One of the reasons that I don't agree with Arminianism is because you have to work so hard to stay close to Jesus in Arminianism. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. Because Jesus said, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. As long as we are there with him and we are enduring to the end, then there is a power that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And we are kept by our faith, but God keeps us. And, and we could talk about that at some other point. But I don't want anybody to think that, that you know what, I've walked away from God and I, and I can't be saved. And that's always the danger when you're looking at these warnings, finding a way to take them seriously, but, but them not hitting the wrong people. And God's the one that, that by the Holy Spirit wrote these things, so I'm sure he's good at being able to do that. Um, but no, there is no one that cannot come to Christ right now, make a commitment to him, and live wholeheartedly for him. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.